0: Father in heaven, we're so grateful for this season. We're grateful for every opportunity that it presents. How wonderful, Lord, that you just give us a season every year where it's easier to talk to other people about Jesus than ever before. What a gift. And Lord, even though there's there's people who would want to erode it, there's people who in some ways would want to take that away from us. Lord, we receive it as a gift from you. We just pray that you would help us to, uh, to love you more, to love others around us more. Lord, we all know that this, this happens as you come and serve us in and through your word. And so we ask that you do that, Lord. We ask that this morning you'd sort of wash our feet. We're, we're dirty from a week of, of just living and interacting with the world around us. Lord, we believe that we can be washed, we believe we can be cleansed, we believe that we can be equipped to live for you and to serve you, so help us with that now, in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 18, we're going to begin at verse 23, so let's look together in our text. It says, after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region, Galatia and Phrygia, in order, strengthening all the disciples. It's very interesting to see the end of Paul's second missionary journey and the beginning of his third one. Because if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. The second missionary journey ends very abruptly at Acts chapter 18, verse 22. The third missionary journey begins very abruptly at Acts chapter 18, verse 23. He arrives back at his home church in Antioch. As verse 23 tells us, he spent some time there, but then right out again, Paul went and notice what he did. He went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening the disciples. We don't know how long Paul spent back at his congregation in Antioch. Maybe it was a short period of time. Maybe it was a long period of time, but I don't think Luke, the man who compiled the book of Acts, wants us to think much about it because Luke is very interested in what Paul did in Ephesus, and that's what we're going to get to before the end of our section today. So, verse 23 tells us that he went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, he went westward. Uh, going from the city of Antioch, going through these regions where he had founded churches before. And in those very regions, he strengthened all the disciples. That was his heart. Again, I'm more struck about it than ever, that yes, Paul was an evangelist. Every one of us would agree to that, right? But Paul wasn't only an evangelist. You might even say that Paul wasn't even especially an evangelist. Because once there were established Christian communities, Paul would go back there again and again and strengthen the disciples. Now, part of this is because what we have in us before us in the book of Acts is important. But please remember, there was a lot going on in the Christian world other than what's recorded in the book of Acts. Paul wasn't the only evangelist. There were a lot of people out there spreading the gospel in any way that they could, in any opportunity that God gave them. But Paul felt, deservedly so, a special connection with these churches that he founded and he would go back to those congregations and he would want to strengthen all the disciples. Let's think about what it would be like if Paul were to visit one of our modern congregations. If Paul were to visit here, spend a Sunday or a week or a couple weeks here, what would he want to know? He would probably want to know from you, how strong of a disciple are you? May I strengthen you in your discipleship, in your walk with God? What can I do to strengthen your walk with Jesus Christ? That's what Paul would want to know. He would remind us all, just like I'll remind you right now, it is not enough to make a good beginning in your walk with God. A good beginning's great. A good beginning is much better than a bad beginning but that's not enough. You've got to make that good beginning, but then you've got to continue on and be strengthened just as Paul was doing. Now, starting at verse 24, Luke's going to shift the focus. He's going to look not so much now at the apostle Paul, but something else that was going on in the city of Ephesus. Take a look here, verse 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now, as Paul was doing his work, strengthening the disciples in the region of Galatia, in the regions of Phrygia, he came or excuse me, there was another man doing a work in the city of Ephesus. This man, Apollos, came from the city of Alexandria, Alexandria's to the southern part of the Mediterranean Sea, right in Egypt. It was a center of intellect. It was a center of learning. There's a very large, vibrant Jewish community there in the city of Alexandria. So this man, Apollos, came from the city of Alexandria. He came up across the Mediterranean, and for whatever reason, he landed at the city of Ephesus. And there, as Paul's doing his work in the region of Galatia and Phrygia, Apollos, this remarkable man, did what he did and Now look at what we're described with this man, Apollos. Look at it here, starting at verse 24. First of all, he's an eloquent man, right? He's a man who can really speak well. That's Apollos. Secondly, verse 24 tells us, and I just love saying this phrase, he was mighty in the scriptures. Did you see that? Apollos, mighty in the scriptures. Now, this really blows my mind because we're going to see in just a moment, Apollos didn't know a whole lot about Jesus. There was a lot that Apollos didn't know, but what he did know he was mighty in. He was a man mighty in the Scriptures. I tell you, I can't get that phrase out of my head. Uh, That's what I want to see you know, young men and young women raised up for in our very community. That's why I want to see people all across our congregation. Because you can be mighty in a lot of things, right? A lot of good things. But one of the things we really want to be mighty in is mighty in the scriptures. So there's Apollos doing that work. There he is. He's mighty in the scriptures. Now, verse 25 says that he had also been instructed in the way of the Lord. Okay, that's good. Verse 25 adds that he was fervent in the spirit. What does that mean? The word fervent is very interesting. It has the idea of sort of boiling over, bubbling over. He was a man on fire, just steaming, just, just coming out with heart and passion for the Lord. And then finally, verse 25 tells us that he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. So there's Apollos out from Alexandria. He comes to Ephesus and what does he do? He starts preaching the little he knows about Jesus. He preaches it passionately and with all of his heart. Look at what verse 25 says. It says that he only knew the baptism of John. Now, i got to say, this amazes me to think about this. How widespread the ministry of John the Baptist was throughout all the Jews of the Roman Empire. They just seemed to know who John the Baptist was. And there's no question about it, isn't it? That John the Baptist was a very famous, if I could use that word, man. Now, he's not a man who cultivated fame. He's not a man who tried to be a celebrity leader. John the Baptist is about as weird as they come. There he is out there in the middle of the Judean wilderness, right? Before the ministry of Jesus begins. He's clothed in weird garments, right? Camel hair, blankets, or whatever it is, eating locusts and wild honey out there in the wilderness. What he's doing? He's screaming at people that they need to get right with God because the Messiah is coming. And he's telling them, you need to humble yourself and get baptized and demonstrate your repentance. And he's calling out everybody he can. Religious leaders, he doesn't care. He gets in their face. You know, a high politicians, he doesn't care. He calls them to account. Everybody around, John the Baptist, just a weird, weird guy doing an amazing work. And it says that the response, what, using a little bit of hyperbole, the scripture says that all of Judea came out to see him. I mean, there were thousands upon thousands of people that came to hear John the Baptist and to respond to his radical call for repentance. That message got distributed Far and abroad among the Jewish communities scattered all about the Mediterranean world. And there, here, a guy named Apollos heard about John the Baptist, heard John the Baptist's message. But that's all he knew about Jesus. Look at it again. Verse 25. He only knew the baptism of John. So what would he preach? Well, when Apollos came to Ephesus, no doubt he preached. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is here. That was John the Baptist's message, right? He was preaching. You got to repent. You got to be ready for the coming of the Messiah. But there was so much that Apollos didn't know. But don't miss it. I'm going to read you the first half of verse 26. Could you look at that with me? So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. There was a lot Apollos didn't know. But what he did know, he taught it accurately, the scriptures tell us, and he taught it with bold passion. What he knew he really knew. And he believed it. Oh, I got to say this. This hits me in a special way, because I think about a lot of people who are hesitant to, to speak a word for Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily standing in front of a congregation and preaching a Bible study. It might be in a personal conversation, right? It might be in a very low-key setting. It might be at a Starbucks over a cup of coffee. It might be at a restaurant. It might be in somebody's home. But I know people who are very hesitant to speak a word for Jesus because they feel like they don't know very much. Well, you know what? Apollos didn't know very much, did he? But what he knew, he really believed. And sometimes I think that that's the big key for us. Not so much knowing more and more, though we do want to know more and more. That's a good thing, not a bad thing, right? We're not here to rejoice in what we don't know and to glorify our ignorance. No, we want to know more and more. Yes, we want to learn. But listen, oftentimes the key isn't so much knowing more. It's making use of what you already know. And that was Apollos. He said, listen, what I do know, I know who Jesus is. I know that he's come. I know that he's Messiah. And I know that we have to repent to get ready for him. I'll preach that. And so he preached what he could. I just want you to notice as well that when he spoke, it wasn't just skill. It wasn't just excitement. It was deeply held conviction. Apollos believed it. He was passionate about it, and he taught it. Friends, all I can do is just share a little bit from myself right here. I, I just want you to know, I pray that it's, it's just reflected in what I do from the pulpit. But I believe this. I really do. I'm not just saying it, and I'm not saying that I despise anybody who struggles with their own beliefs. I understand how people can struggle with their own beliefs, and I understand how people can work through doubts and all of that. I don't despise anybody who's in that place. But I'll just tell you, I believe it. I really do. It makes sense to me, it's truth to me. And even though I probably couldn't answer every question or make sense out of every single verse in the Bible, what I do read, what I do know, I believe it. And you can too. You really can. I, I would really believe, and I would like to believe, and I, I do think it very much so, that my belief is not a blind faith. But it's an educated faith. It's a reasonable faith. And that's exactly what Apollo said. He believed it passionately, and he presented. He's a great example of this passion and boldness. He didn't wait to know more. He used what he had, and God blessed it. That's a wonderful thing. All right, now let's pick it up in the middle of verse 26. Ready? Because something very important is going to happen in the life of Apollos. Middle of verse 26. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. This is amazing. First of all, in the middle of verse 26, we are reintroduced with a couple that we met last week. Their names are Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila is the guy. Of course, Priscilla is a woman's name. This is a married couple, right? Now, Paul met this couple when he was doing his business of tent making, leather working, back in the city of Corinth. And when Paul left Corinth to head home, Aquila and Priscilla went with him. But they stopped with him in Ephesus, and Paul said, Aquila and Priscilla, why don't you guys stay here in Ephesus? God can use you. And they said, great, we'll do that. We'll stay right here. And one of the great things that God used Aquila and Priscilla to do in Ephesus was to speak to this man, Apollos. Because look at verse 26 again. It says, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Isn't that wonderful? Can't you just picture this in your mind? Can't you just picture Aquila and Priscilla going to the synagogue, right? And there's this fiery young guy from Alexandria there. His name is Apollos. He's eloquent. He knows the scripture. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about repentance. He's talking about the work. But Aquila and Priscilla, they look at each other. You know that way that a husband and wife can look at each other during a message, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, you know, they're thinking about something. There's a backstory to it all. They look, oh, yeah, they know something. They don't have to say anything. They just look at each other. And what they're thinking as they look at each other is simply this. This guy's Apollos is good. Wow, look at him. He loves the Lord. He's doing a great work. But he doesn't know hardly anything about Jesus. We can tell him what he doesn't know. We've got to get together with this guy. And so they're thinking, OK, we're going to take him out to lunch or breakfast or brunch or whatever it was they did in Ephesus there after church. And they got together with him afterward and said, let us explain to you. They said they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, this was a wonderful thing, don't you think? I think it's wonderful on two levels. I think it's wonderful that Aquila and Priscilla did it, don't you? That there's a guy that, oh man, this guy is wonderful. He's good. He's got so much going. But you know, I think there's things we can really teach him. I think we can help him. I think we can help him with his growth. He doesn't know so much about Jesus. We can talk to him about it. It was a great thing for Aquila and Priscilla to do it. It was also a great thing for Apollos to receive it. Don't you think? Isn't this sometimes where we get messed up? We don't want to receive anything from anybody. We we won't allow ourselves to be teachable. But here's this man, Apollos. He's got so much going for him. He's eloquent. He's smart. He knows the scriptures. He's passionate. But yet he's willing to listen when somebody explains to him more about the work of Jesus. Could you imagine what that conversation was like? Apollos, you knew that the Messiah was coming. You knew that Jesus came. You knew that we had to repent and get ready for him. That's all great. Did you know about his death on the cross? What, Apollos says? He died? He died on a cross? That's a shameful way for anybody to die. How, how did the Messiah get crucified? And they explained to him all that Jesus predicted and all that Jesus did on the cross. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla explained to him that when he died on the cross, he fulfilled everything that was spoken of in passages like Isaiah chapter 53 and Psalm 22, where there would come this suffering Messiah who would be a savior for Israel and for all the world by bearing the sins of the world there on the cross. They would explain it to him and then they would get And Paul said, you know what? He died on the cross, but then he rose from the dead. Apollos would jump out of it. See, what? You're telling me he rose from the dead? (laughs) Yes, and they would explain to him how the victory of Jesus over death at the resurrection explains that God the Father accepted the payment on the cross in full and that there's nothing left for us to pay for our sins. Do you understand that? It just comes to my mind immediately right now. There might be somebody here. You're trying to pay for your own sins. You might be doing that for your church attendance right now. I will afflict my soul this morning by going to church because that will be a payment for my sins. Listen, can I tell you, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You cannot pay for your own sins. You can't. But Jesus Christ made a perfect payment for your sins and the resurrection proves that God the Father accepted it in heaven and it proves that death could not hold the Son of God and that he triumphed over it all. As Apollos heard these words, I bet he jumped out of his seat. He was so excited. He couldn't believe it. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing, both for Aquila and Priscilla to do it and for Apollos to receive it. How can I move on without making the point home to you guys, right? Aren't there some of you here? You should be pouring into somebody the way that Aquila and Priscilla poured into Apollos. Now, I know that many of you do this, and I rejoice in that. But one of the great things about our congregation is the networks of discipleship that sort of weave themselves through our congregation. It's a wonderful thing. But can anybody tell me that there should be less of that in our church and not more? There should be more upon more. And so many of you, you, you're ready, you're equipped. God has done enough in your life to where you can pour into the life of somebody else. Are you doing it? And then you say, well, I I don't I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated. Oh, I got you. I got you with Apollos, didn't I? Right. Apollos didn't know all that much, yet he could be really used in the lives of other people. So you can do this. You really can be used. And I, I would just challenge you to pray about it. To seek God about it. There may be somebody immediately, as I'm saying these words, there's somebody that pops into your mind. You know what? I bet I could pour into their life a little bit and God might use that. How about you start praying for that person? Look for an opportunity to talk with them. You can do this. You can be an Aquila or a Priscilla in somebody else's life. But others of you, you know what you need to be? You need to be like an Apollos, don't you? You you need to let somebody pour into your life. And for many of you, it's both. You you need to be pouring out into somebody else and you need to have somebody pouring into you. The two do not contradict each other in the slightest. It's just a beautiful thing, this focused discipleship. And look at it here in verse 28 to see the result of it, the payoff in Apollos' life. It says that he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Apollos got so turned on when he held the fullness of the message of who Jesus is and what he came to do that he said, man, I just want to preach this gospel everywhere. They sent him across the water over to Achaia. The leading city of Achaia was Corinth. Almost certainly Apollos went to Corinth because we know that from Paul's some of Corinthians letters, Apollos was in Corinth. So Apollos went over to Corinth. He started doing a work there and he was a mighty man. I'll read it again to you, verse 28. He vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now, by the way, this is just one of those verses that makes some men like uh, the great Dr. Martin Luther of history think that Apollos was actually the man who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. I mean, think of his qualifications. Uh, he, He vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. He showed from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. He was eloquent. He was fervent in the spirit. Some people consider this is just the kind of guy who might have written the letter to the Hebrews. And you know what I can say? I can give you a categorical maybe. That's the case. I don't know. If the Holy Spirit wanted us to know who it was that wrote Hebrews, he would have told us. But it could have been a guy like Apollos. So anyway, this great work of discipleship happens from Aquila and Priscilla, and it happens in Apollos as they're moving on. Now, verse 1 of chapter 19. And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much heard as whether there is a Holy Spirit. Okay. Now Paul was last in Ephesus on his way back from Corinth on his second missionary journey. Now he comes there from the east, having traveled overland through the regions of Galatia and Phrygia. And he comes down from the east, heading west over to the city of Ephesus. Now, we haven't talked a lot about Ephesus because sometimes I wonder how interesting it is or how important it is for you to know the character of these ancient cities. But let me just tell you, Ephesus, major city, important center of banking, of commerce, of worship, of many different things. A lot of notable pagan temples. It's a great place to visit today, even though I haven't visited today. I hear that the ruins and the museums there at Ephesus are just astounding. They're they're spectacular. But Ephesus is a city that was very well known in the ancient world. It was one of those major population centers that the Apostle Paul wanted to reach. And as we see in the next few weeks, Paul did a remarkable work there in Ephesus. So chapter 19, verse 1 tells us that Paul passed through the upper regions. He came to Ephesus just as he promised he would back in Acts chapter 18. And then he finds some guys there that he asks a very interesting question to. Did you notice that in verse 2? Verse two, he asked a simple question to them. After arriving in Ephesus, he asked these guys, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" Now, I don't know what it was about these people. I don't know what it was about these disciples. Now, please notice this. It says that they were disciples, right? Right there in verse two. And finding some disciples, he said to them, "These people were disciples." Yeah, Paul spoke with them. He conversed with them. He got into their lives just a little bit, and he realized. There's something not right here. There's something missing. So Paul asked a question that we just gathered. He didn't ask everybody upon meaning. How the apostle Paul, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I don't think he did that normally, right? But whatever the situation was in this case, he looked at the lives of these people. and He said, there's something lacking, something missing. I just got a question for you guys. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And what was their response? You saw it right there in verse two. They said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now, by this reply, these Ephesian disciples showed that they didn't know very much about God's nature as it's revealed to us in Jesus. Now, it's entirely possible that they knew enough to be saved, that they knew enough to be students of Jesus. Did you know that's what a disciple is? A disciple is a learner, a student. And so they knew that much but they didn't know much about what Jesus did for us. They didn't know much about the promise of Jesus to send the Holy Spirit when he ascended to heaven. Did you know that Jesus promised that? Jesus promised that when he ascended up into heaven, that he would send forth the Holy Spirit to those who believed that this would be his great promise. And so Paul finds this group of disciples. And I need to tell you something very important about this group of disciples. I want you to look at verse 7. It says, I'll just cut to the end a little bit. It tells us about this group, verse 7. It says, and now the men were about 12 in all. How many were in this group of disciples that Paul speaks to? 12. And we all know that when the Bible says 12, it means 12, right? We're not looking for any mystical interpretation here. It means 12. Now, compared to the number of Christians in general in Ephesus, we would have to say that this was a very small group, right? By this time, I'm figuring under the initial work of Paul, under the succeeding work of Aquila and Priscilla, under the work of Apollos, collectively there, there's probably at least a few hundred Christians in Ephesus. What does it say, though? It says that there were 12 men that Paul spoke to about this business with the Holy Spirit. This was not the core group of disciples that Paul originally spoke to. I don't think this was the group that Aquila and Priscilla was really ministering to. No, rather, this was a group that very much like Apollos, they just knew about the ministry of John the Baptist. Look at it here in verses 3 and 4. And he said to them, Into what were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, Indeed, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Now, again, these Ephesian disciples, they only had a basic understanding of the Messiah, of Jesus and his ministry. What could be gained through the message of John the Baptist and the message of John the Baptist was plain. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is here. Repent and believe upon him. Okay, that's great. That's a wonderful introduction, but it's not enough. Maybe they received the word of John, the baptism through John himself. Maybe it was some of John's disciples, whatever it was, the word got out. But Paul noted, verse four, that John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. That's good. That's a great start. But now you need more. You need to know about the fullness of the messiah's work who jesus is what he did for us and you need to hear about it and appropriate it unto your own life i have to say there's a big debate among bible scholars students teachers whatever you want to say this is one of those great debating points you can always start an argument with a bunch of preachers by just asking this were these 12 ephesian disciples saved And here's the point. This is the big battle line, right? One says, well, of course they were saved. They're described as disciples, are they not? Show me in the book of Acts where people are described as disciples and they're not saved. They knew something about Jesus. They knew enough about him to be saved. Of course they were saved. And then you have the other people give the counter. No, they're not saved at all. How could you say such a thing? They hadn't received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. How could you say they're saved? They only knew of the baptism of John. They, they hadn't even been baptized in Jesus. Back and forth, they argue back. But listen, I just want—I don't even care that much about that issue right here, right now. I want you to see what happens in verses five, six, and seven. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Can you picture the scene in your mind? Hi, my name's Paul. It's nice to meet you guys. They discussed, they converse for a while. Paul says, there's something wrong here. Uh, there's just something lacking. And you guys, I can't really put my finger on it. Let me ask you a question. Did, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you first believe? Well, why? We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, Paul says, well, let me tell you more about Jesus. I'll figure out this. You know, John the Baptist did great work, but Jesus came and followed up on it. And he died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. And he rose from the dead. And when he ascended to heaven, he sent down the Holy Spirit. Have you experienced this? Have you received this? No, we haven't at all. What do we need to do? And Paul says, well, you guys have never really been baptized in the name of Jesus, have you? No, we haven't. Well, then let's do that. Let's (laughs) baptize you in the name of Jesus. Isn't it great? We want to be identified with Jesus fully. It's wonderful that we've repented. It's wonderful that we prepared ourselves for the coming of the Messiah. But you know, it's not enough to prepare yourself for the coming of the Messiah. You've got to receive him when he comes. And that's what they needed to do. Okay, we want to receive him now that he's come. Yes, we put our trust in Jesus. Let's be baptized. And collect with that That putting of their trust in Jesus. They're baptized. And when they come up out of the water, what does Paul do for them? A wonderful thing that we do in our own baptisms, Right? They laid hands on them and they prayed. For them. Let's pray for you. And when they prayed for what happened, the Holy Spirit came upon these guys in an unexpected and glorious way. So much that they started spontaneously praying in languages that they never knew before. That's what it means right there in the verse where it says that they spoke with tongues and prophesied in verse six. They, they started praying in languages they didn't even know. They started praising God in languages that were previously completely unknown to them. And they didn't even know what they're saying, but God knew what they were saying. It was just an example of the beautiful outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them. And then secondly, secondly, they prophesied. They spoke forth spontaneous words uh, of just explanation and, and encouragement and blessing from the Lord. It was a marvelous example of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Now, Luke wants us to know. There were 12 in all. This wasn't a big group of people in Ephesus. This was a smaller group. But what they experienced was real and what they experienced was necessary. The Holy Spirit came upon them when Paul laid hands upon them. Look, I know that you could get in a pretty big theological dispute about this, right? There are some people who basically say this. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and when you're born again, you receive all of the Holy Spirit that you'll ever need, that you'll ever want, that you'll ever desire. It's given to you all when you're born again. So don't even think about asking for more. Okay, there are other people who say, well, you know, you might be born again, but, you know, you really don't have much of the Holy Spirit. You you need the Holy Spirit and you need to trust in him as a gift. Listen, listen, I don't even want to make a dividing line between those two things right here, right now. If you want to debate it for me, come up. I could have a very vigorous debate on this issue and I would enjoy it a great deal. But you know what? We could get lost in the weeds of debate and miss what it really means to your life right here, right now. Here's my question for you. Could somebody look at your life and conclude that there's an absence of the Holy Spirit in your life? That's what Paul did with these Ephesian disciples, right? He looked at their life and they said, you know, there's just something not right. Did a little Columbo routine on them, right? <laughs> you know, there's just something I don't understand about this. You know, there's something lacking. There's something. Let me just ask you a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Now, there's some of you who probably say, well, yes, of course I received the Holy Spirit. when you believe." I say, well, right now in your life, it doesn't look like it very much. What evidence is there in your life right here, right now that you're filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm not trying to say whether you have been or haven't been, what your prior experience? I just want to know what is it right here, right now, in December of 2011, are you experiencing the fullness of the Spirit in your life? That's what it mattered for these particular disciples. Now, I can imagine there might be somebody here, right here, right now, and and they say, listen, I don't really know if I've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Listen, if you don't know, It's fair to assume that you haven't. I wouldn't say that absolutely, because sometimes the Holy Spirit can work in a very naturally supernatural way. But let me just say this. If you really don't know, if you have no idea whatsoever, if you've ever received the Holy Spirit, I think you could just assume that perhaps you haven't. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. I'm quoting him now. Give a man an electric shock, and I guarantee you he'll know it. But if he has the Holy Ghost, he'll know it much more. Well, I'll go with Spurgeon on that. This isn't something you should hope about. It's something that you can know and that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what I see. I see in this passage that we've looked through today. Three real necessities for discipleship. I'm not going to say that it's comprehensive discipleship, that in this passage today you, you see everything you ever need to know about discipleship. I'm not talking about comprehensive, but I'm talking about three necessities for discipleship, right? Number one, in Apollos, you saw some passion, right? That man was filled with passion. He, he wanted to serve the Lord. And even though he had an imperfect, uh, not very great knowledge, what he had he used passionately and God used it. That's the first thing. Passion, You need that. Secondly, discipleship. You, you need to be taking somebody deeper. You need to be brought deeper. And so often that can happen in this one on one kind of thing. Uh, believe me, the way that Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos aside. I wonder if anybody's ever taken you aside that way. I wonder if you've ever let them. When if you've ever done that for somebody else? Such a critical thing in our own walk with the Lord. But now this third thing, and we can't leave this, the experience of the Holy Spirit. You Feeling kind of worn out here at the end of the year, right? Holiday season leaves you a little, you know, stressed, wrung out. It, It can happen. Listen, how much more do you need it right here, right now? A fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I believe it, don't you? I believe that God wants to give this to you. I believe that God has it as you ask it for him. I believe that God has it as you come up and have people pray for you on the prayer team. I believe that God has it for you as you come to him simply as a child and say, Lord, I want to receive it in faith. And you just simply do that. Receive what a loving God has to give you in faith. Could somebody look at your life and see some kind of difference because of it? I certainly hope so. Can I pray for you about that right now? Can I pray that you would have a heart open and filled with faith to receive what the Holy Spirit would have to give to you right now. That's what I I want to pray for you right at this moment. Father in heaven, I think, Lord, of this blessed congregation. I think of how they love you. I think of their faithfulness to you. I think of the way that that they serve you even when it's difficult. I think, Lord, of the temptations and trials and stresses that they have to endure. And, Lord, I I just think that they cannot do it apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Lord, right here, right now, we know that we need a greater passion. We know that we need a greater depth of discipleship. Lord, we also need this filling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, won't you do it in our lives right now? And, Lord, I I don't know how you want to connect with each individual, Lord. I'm absolutely persuaded that you mean for some individuals here this morning to come up to the prayer team, and that's how you want to give it to them. Lord, I know that for others, they, they just need to believe you in faith right where they're sitting. I don't know how you're going to connect with each individual life. But Lord, I just ask you, I plead with you that you do it. That you ascended Jesus as you ascended into glory after your, your, your glorious death and resurrection. There you are seated at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. You promise to send forth your Holy Spirit to your people. And we believe that promise. We want to receive it. We want to partake in it right now. Jesus, I just call upon you as a pastor over this congregation. I call upon you to make good your promise. I'm not making this up, Jesus. You promised it. And we need it. So, Lord, won't you touch each individual life for the faith, for the grace, to receive what you've promised to so graciously give however you want to touch each individual life with it. Do it, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name.